If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. It's the second to the last chapter in the last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. The title of the message is, Are You Going? Revelation chapter 21. Again, the title of the message, Are You Going? We've been going through the book of Revelation chapters, oh, at least 6 through 19. We're pretty tough to get through talking about this time that is coming to this earth, yet future of God's judgment being poured out. God will graciously and mercifully redeem many through that period of time, but it will be the single most devastating time on earth. We looked at the millennial kingdom, um, and so now we're just looking at heaven. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you, Lord, for just the worship and an opportunity to sing to you and to come into your presence. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, that this hope of heaven would be something that would spur us on in life as we go through life. And so, Lord, open up your scriptures to us. Bless this time as we offer it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and go through it. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And so God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven has three levels, if you will. The first heaven is atmospheric, where... You know, the birds fly and the sky, the firmament, if you will. The second heaven would be space, the terrestrial heaven. And then you have God's celestial heaven. This has been spoken of throughout the scriptures. Let me read you a few. Isaiah 65, 17 through 19, the Bible says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create a a Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. Uh, Psalm 102 verses 25 through 27. The Bible says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you will endure. Yes, all of them will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And then in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so this idea of new heaven New earth, the ancient Greek word translated new here, K-A-I-N-E, Cain, means new in character, fresh. It doesn't mean recent or new in time. This isn't just the next heaven or the next earth. This is the better heaven and the better earth replacing the old. The the first earth had passed away, it says there in verse 1. Verse 2, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Wow. So John 
picture is one of the most beautiful things you can see on this earth. I remember it like it was, well, 35 years ago. Roxanne walking down the aisle, adorned in that dress and just coming forward. <laughs> the Christian concept of heaven as a city, a place of life, uh, activity, interest in people is very different from Hindu conception of a blank nirvana. The consummation of the Christian hope is supremely social. It is no flight of the alone to the alone, but life in the redeemed community of heaven. And as John says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, John used the most striking, beautiful image he could think of. The most beautiful thing a man will ever see is his bride coming down the aisle, ready to meet him. John said that this is how beautiful the new Jerusalem will be. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Tabernacle, dwelling place, this, this place where God dwells. This is the greatest glory of heaven and the ultimate restoration of what was lost in the fall. Spurgeon writes, I do not think the glory of Eden lay in its grassy walks or in the boughs bending with luscious fruit, but its glory lay in this, that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Here was Adam's highest privilege, and he had companion with the Most High. And so the greatest part of heaven, the glory of heaven, is that God is there. Verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And so, I don't know, a prior to, at the point of entering into heaven, every tear wiped away. The book of Psalms says that God holds our tears in a bottle. And so nothing that would bring tears, no pain, no sorrow, none of that confusion, all of that in heaven is gone and so being in the place that you were prepared to be for eternity with the one that loves you verse 5 then he who sat on the throne said behold i make all things new and he said to me right for these words are true and faithful i would imagine john is seeing this vision and and just as god is speaking and, and giving this revelation he's like just amazed and blown away and god's like hey 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 Write it down. Write it down. We've got to put it in a book. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget. This statement is in the present tense. I am making everything new. This is the consummation of God's work of renewal and redemption having begun here and now in our present time. Our instinct is to romantically consider innocence as man's perfect state and wish Adam would have never done what he did. But we fail to realize that redeemed man is greater than innocent man. That we gain more in Jesus than we ever lost in Adam. God's perfect state is one of redemption, not innocence. And so you have to let that sink in. We always look at what Adam lost in the garden and think that if we can just get back to that. God is going to get in the very end what he wanted from the very beginning. A group of individuals that would freely, out of their own volition, out of their own free will, choose to spend eternity with him, to walk in the cool of the day, to, to just walk and talk in relationship with their creator. 
And that's exactly what God's going to get. He made the way through the redemption. When God finally completes this work of making all things new, they will stay new. Morris writes, Presumably this means not only that everything will be made new, but also that everything will stay new. The entropy law will be repealed. Nothing will wear out or decay, and no one will age or atrophy anymore. Good news as I get older and hurt more. Get out of bed a little slower. Good news. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Again, Spurgeon writes, What does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? He drinks. Perhaps there is no better representation of faith in all the world, word of God, than that. To drink is to receive, to take in the refreshing draught, and that is all. A man's face may be unwashed, but yet he can drink. He may be a very unworthy character, but yet a draught of water will remove his thirst. Drinking is such a remarkable, easy thing, it is even more simple than eating. And so in heaven, God is saying, drink, take it in, quench your thirst. Here it is freely for you to be able to take hold of. Verse 7 and 8, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We've covered a lot of this. We've talked about this. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. If you are born again, you will die once. Second death has no power over you. If you're born twice, second death has no power. If you're born once, ah, you die twice. A spiritual death, separation from God for eternity. This list will not be in heaven. All this list of sins And all I can think of was, thank God that I won't take these sins to heaven. These things that I struggle with. These very things in this list. That unfortunately, ah, this flesh and the wickedness that I can be. Ah, it's not taken with me in heaven. And I'm thankful for that. Verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me. Saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And so we see in heaven as a foundation stone, The 12 tribes of the nation of Israel are named and will be there for eternity. Verse 13, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so you have Old Testament patriarchs, New Testament um, apostles, again, solidified in heaven, being joined together. Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Now this idea, I mean, we can begin to calculate, and people have done that, where they 
try to say, well, okay, about how many people are going to be in heaven and, uh, you know, how, how much room for everybody. I think it's about 75 acres per person. Not, not too shabby in this calculation. Let me read it to you. The size of the New Jerusalem is enormous. 12,000 furlongs equals 1,500 miles or 2,400 kilometers. This is the same distance from Maine to Florida. The square footage would uh, approximate the size of the moon. Henry Moore is guessing that there will be, have been 100 billion people in the human race through history and that 20% of them will be saved. Calculated that each person would have a block of about 75 acres on each face to call their own. This is highly speculative, speculative, but illustrates the point that there is plenty of room in the new Jerusalem. And so it's not like you're going to be cramped quarters, but have that space. And yet in the presence of God and in fellowship with people, God has always been a relational God. He's always been about relationship and not just our relationship with him, but our relationship with one another. And that's what fulfills and makes life meaningful. Imagine standing on a podium and, and, and achieving the greatest achievement that you've ever received, that you can ever think of in your entire life, and you're standing on that podium being congratulated, and no one is there with you. Success is nothing without anyone to share it with. And so that's relationship. God wants us to be in relationship, definitely with Him, but as well with one another. Verse 14, now the wall of the city... Oh, no, no, no. 17. My bad. Verse 17. Then he measured its wall, 145 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is of an, an angel, the construction of its wall. Look at all these stones. And we don't know what these stones are today, but, you know, you can imagine just the beauty of, of, of gemstones. Was of jasper, and the city was of pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent Glass, And so obviously it's speaking of something that is gorgeous, something that is just beautiful. If the dimensions and the description seem confusing or impossible, there are two main principles to keep in mind. First, we must understand the ideas communicated in the details, glory, beauty, splendor, and so forth. Second, we must understand that this is the city whose architect and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 tells us. We should expect it to be beyond our comprehension. And so this is what God has set out to prepare for you. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Before Jesus, the temple was a prophecy. In the Christian era, God's people are his temple. In the millennium, the temple will be a memorial. Here the temple is everywhere. Verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. No temple, no need of the sun or the moon. This reminds us that heaven will be a place of pure worship. The things we use to help us worship but often end up distracting us in worship such as buildings, music systems, 
customs and so forth will no longer be an issue. Our focus will be totally on the person we worship, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. 24, to the end. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So are you going, again, the title of the message. As I was going through the chapter this week, I was just um, I was thinking, okay, you know, I, I, could, I could do a study on what we're going to do in heaven. That's always, you know, people are like, harps and clouds and sounds boring and all of that. By the way, it's not going to be any of that. Um, but I'm just mindful as we're going through the book of Genesis and we're going through the book of Revelation, I, I look at all the way from the very, very beginning, the controversy of the word of God being God's word and how the majority of the world lies in confusion and the subtleties of deception and Satan. And I was thinking, man, if, if there's certain truths that we believe, specific things that we believe that are true because God has revealed them, wow, what a, what a big, gigantic deal that is right there, just that right there. The beginning of the creation and how the overwhelming world believes that it was a big bang or evolutionary processes began somewhere in times past. And yet the Bible would speak against that and would say that God spoke and the world leapt into existence. And you look at that foundational thing right there, something so simple, but yet that is a spiritual truth. And in order for us to be able to take that in, to understand that and believe it, maybe we don't fully comprehend it, maybe we don't know all the nuances of it, but the simplicity of creation and the beginning, and the Bible saying, in the beginning, God. And if you hold that to be true, if you, if you believe that, it wasn't because you figured it out. It wasn't because you're so smart. It wasn't because, well, you know, I did the math. You know, I did the math, and I pulled everything out. I had the protractor and the calculator and the, and the tape measure and just everything. I had it, man. It's because God revealed it to you. It's because God knew that you would spend eternity with Him. And God knew somewhere in your life that it was time to reveal Himself to you. And again, we, we don't think about things in those terms, but the truth of the matter is, that's what happened. Jesus says that He wouldn't be revealed to anybody unless the Father drew that person to Himself. And God has to open our eyes to give us these understandings. And then we begin this relationship with God. We begin this process with God. And, and God knows us. He knows the weakness. He knows the frailties. He knows the confusion. He knows the pain. He knows the things that we go through and suffer through. And yet God is okay. And that is just for me, when I blow it and when I mess up and when, I, when I'm ah, just so insecure and these things creep into my life. I'm like, Lord, 
Like, how could you pick me? Like, how? I don't even get it. Just kick me to the curb. God, I'm not worthy. And I never had to be worthy. He was worthy on my behalf. And so as we go through this thing called life, this is God's end game in mind. This chapter right here is what He intended for you specifically. That you would spend eternity in relationship with Him and with your brothers and your sisters. And that you would receive the joy, enter into the joy of your Lord. He thought of you before the foundations of the world, before He started this whole thing. He had you specifically in mind that this is, this is my best plan. This is the way that I can get the most people that would freely desire to be with me in this place that, oh boy, what I have in store for them. And I mean, that right there can make the worst day not too shabby. I remember Jack Abelin sharing a study on heaven. And he said, Christian, as bad as it gets here, as horrendous and horrible as it can be, we've got to smile because we're going to heaven. And this incredible thing that God has in store for us. And, and again, I don't even think the Bible scratches the surface on, on just what the glory and just everything that we're going to experience. But God's been working on it quite some time. Jesus would say, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be also. And if I go, I'll come back to receive you to myself. And so as bad as it gets, man, this is a chapter that, that can be meditated on. When you think of the chapters in the Bible that can bring you back, you know, you want Romans 8, Genesis 1, just creation there. Anything that will give you the awe of God. But Revelation chapter 21, and just even the stones, not because it's going to be ornate and gaudy, but because God's like, you know what, this is pretty. And this is pretty for you. I had you in mind when I did this. I think of the brilliance of a ruby and diamonds and Thai sapphires. I bought Roxana Thai sapphire ring once and had a nice stone and then these diamonds around. I think she lost it. I don't know. Um, somebody stole it. I don't know what happened. But I just think the beauty of that little blue stone. And I love diamonds. They just the way they glisten and the black backdrop of uh, you know, the black cloth. And God had you and me in mind in that. And so just think about that as you go through life. This is what we have to look forward to. And this is a new heaven and a new earth. And it's not the third heaven, from what I understand. It's the atmospheric heaven and the, the space heaven that Satan kind of hangs out with. Maybe it's polluted, and that's why God wants to make a new one. I don't know. We know that the earth and the elements here are going to burn, and so probably through a nuclear war. Uh, so we know that a new earth is going to have to be created. So I encourage you guys with that. Take that in. God has something very, very special in store for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the plan that you have for us. We thank you for Revelation chapter 21 that just depicts a glimpse, a little bit of light into what you have in store. When it's all said and done, Lord, your desire was this relationship. Lord, that we would be your sons and your daughters and that we would walk and talk with you, Lord. And so thank you so much for what you have in store for us. 
Thank you, Lord, that through the simplicity of having our eyes open because of what you've done, there's nothing really we do. We just sign up. We receive the invitation. We accept the gift that you offer. So, Lord, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.